favorite scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? For fun? Most people are so out to the endless interstellar reaches of the universe. An advanced exploration corps, a new breed of pioneer must seek out unstable planets and destroy them. Drive sequence begun. Hit it, pin back. of the 21st century planet smashers dark star 20 years in space one million light years from earth their job is to clear a path for the colonization of space back home back home in malibu i used to surf a lot tally i used to be a great surfer travel in an infinite universe with mind-melting excitement from beyond the stars. Computer to bomb number 20. Return to the bomb bay immediately. But I have received the operational signal. Because I must detonate. I must detonate. Commander Powell. Commander Powell, this is Doolittle. Can you hear me? space. They're loose. Uh, <coughs> so uh, welcome uh, once again. Uh, we are here on Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Streggy. And here in the uh, room, we have the Inside Movies Galore crew. Uh, crew. Hello, everyone. Uh, hello. Hello. Hey. 
how is everyone doing tonight? Did you guys see a film? Oh, yeah, we saw a wonderful yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So, it wasn't, so the film, the it film wasn't, tonight is actually directed by John Carpenter and uh, who else, Dustin? <clears throat> well, it was written by Dan O'Bannon, who ended up writing Alien. He wrote Dead and Buried, and he directed and wrote uh, Return of the Living Dead, among well, other things. He why don't you give us a quick synopsis of the film, if you can, since uh, you seem to know a lot about it. Um, I love Dan O'Bannon. Like, Dan O'Bannon is so, was so awesome. Um, I actually have – so my copy was the special edition DVD, and it came with a written intro by him. So I'm just going to let Dan O'Bannon tell us about it briefly. This movie is a comedy. I wanted to be sure and clarify that right up front, because when the film was first released to the paying public, they didn't seem to realize it was supposed to be funny. That was back in February of 1975. On an opening night, John Carpenter and I went around to a few of the 40 theaters it was saturation booked into to see how people liked our movie. It was our very first feature film, and we were both wound up tighter than a drum. We introduced ourselves to the theater manager and said we'd like to take a peek inside to judge the audience reaction. In the sourest tone of voice imaginable, he said, What audience? There were five people in the house, and they looked like they were attending a funeral. We were traumatized, and it took me years to regain my sense of humor. My second film, Alien, was basically Dark Star made scary. I figured, if I can't make them laugh, maybe I can make them scream. The rest Alrighty. is history. Alrighty. So, uh, Katie, was this your uh, first time seeing the film? This actually was my first time seeing it, yes. And, um, and I thought it was... Yeah, I thought it was a little bit um, kind of off the nerdy scale for me, like a little too nerdy for my level of nerd nerdism. <laughs> so it kind of missed the mark with me. Like, I think if it would have been a horror comedy, I probably would have liked it better. Um, but I really appreciated it for what it was and the fact that it was John Carpenter's first feature film stuff, whatever, like that to me was important for me <laughs> to see that. Um, and like I was saying earlier before we were on the air, I see the jump between that and Assault on Precinct 13. Like, wow, what a growth for him as a director between those two movies. So that to me was, I think, valuable. Okay. Dan uh, O'Bannon's work. He does. I love Return of the Living Dead. So. Uh, Red yeah. Raven. Uh, he does have more too uh, from that speed, from that paper, but we'll let you guys go. Red Raven, what was your take on the film? Uh, was this your first uh, time seeing the film? Yeah, this was my first time seeing it. And I thought at first it was like really bizarre. I'm like, what is this? You know? <laughs> and I was like, this is really like geeky. And I was like, it was like something I had never seen before. And, um, but overall it was good. And uh, I thought the sound quality could have been better. It was kind of hard to hear some of the actors. And then at parts, um, kind of dark. There wasn't enough lighting. But other than that, it was it was good. That may have been intentional with the lighting. Um, <laughs> because some of... <laughs> so some of their costumes were kind of designed to look like this particular, like, spaceman figure that was around at the time. Because they were using actual toys, like, as miniatures in some scenes. And so some of the scenes in space that were like, oh, that's so dark, I can't tell. It's like, that's that's a figure. That's a literal okay. G.I. Joe figure. <laughs> <laughs> there you 
but let's see. Uh, since the, uh, this was a film that Brandon had suggested, why don't you tell me uh, how did you get involved with this film? Actually, I had done it by reputation for a long time, um, though I didn't actually get to see it for up until about 10 years ago. Um, and I was underwhelmed by it uh, because I'd had such a high expectation for it. Okay. And it wasn't until the second time I watched it that I was able to sit down and truly grasp uh, the humor behind it. I had the same experience. And uh, I could see where some people would think that this film was trying to take itself so seriously that way in some aspects. But if you sit down and you concentrate on it, you can really see the humor. And that's one of the uh, beauty parts of it, and probably one of the detractors as well. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, Dane, uh, why don't you... Uh... Was this your first time seeing the film? It was, and uh, I'm I'm rather amused by some of the reactions to this movie because they're like, "Oh, it's too geeky. It's do this." Well, I guess I must be a super geek. Uh, super geek. He's super geeky because uh, I really dug this movie a lot because um, what I picked up on because I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick fan is that, and you can really tell this by the marketing poster is that it's a huge parody of 2001 a space odyssey mixed with dr strange love and uh well and introducing certain elements that would obviously come back in alien uh like with the alien running around the ship and the female voice as the you know the ai of the ship and all that stuff the whole truckers uh, in space vibe too yeah well that not only that but like what i liked about it was that it was very smart. It was pretty clear that the people who made it had gone to college and knew about philosophy and, you know, things like that. And it was like the scene in the elevator was probably my favorite just because that was almost Monty Python meets Charlie Chaplin, uh, which I, both of which I love. And uh, I liked the, um, fact that they do and it, i noticed a lot of things similar to the original star trek series as well like having to stop the computer by feeding it either a philosophical quandary or a paradox which they do a bajillion times on star trek as well as like the cheapness of the effects and the costumes and stuff which uh you know some of which look pretty darn good for the time and others of which look terrible but in a funny way like the beach ball alien which i thought was really funny Oh um, my god, yes. I thought that was so funny. But like uh if I, I can see why perhaps people might find it too geeky or whatever. Um but I guess again I must be like the biggest geek ever because I thought that was I thought it was really funny, but I because I love Star Trek, I love Kubrick. Um I just thought it was a neat little time capsule because it was sort of bridged the era of movies that are what Kubrick would have made with what these, you know, 70s or late 70s and 80s filmmakers like John Carpenter would later bring to the table, plus like what really Scott was doing with Alien and all that stuff. So it's kind of a, you can see the the passing of the torch in this film. And I say nerdy with all due respect 
Dane, really. I just am, I'm, I am not like a book smarts type of person. So like the really smart nerdy stuff doesn't appeal to me. It's why science fiction isn't one of my more favorite genres. And so I totally see how somebody who does like science fiction and does know a lot about science would like that. I just not, it doesn't fit my personality type very well. Yeah, well, I, I love all those things, and uh, and yeah. I also love philosophy, and I love like the kind of goofier slapstick humor. But but what I liked about the humor in this is that it was it had that perfect blend of goofy, but also subtle. Like it it did not do the like this the thing I hate, which is like that kind of modern Family Guy humor of oh, it's funny because it existed. J- just the reference is supposed to be funny, not doing anything with it. Just the fact that you, the mere fact that you referenced it is supposed to be funny. Uh, but in here it's like, yeah, you can see the homages, but even if you didn't see them, the story still works in and of itself. You don't have to have, it's not screaming to you that, oh, this is a reference. You know, it's it, it works on its own merits and that's how you do a satire this wasn't a full-on full-out farce or a spoof but like that's how you do a satire well uh my yeah. take on the uh, my take on the f- uh, film is uh, uh the first time i saw the, uh, this I, I felt like the film was very stiff a, a very st- uh, stiff at least for the first 30 minutes or so for sure up until, uh, up until yeah. i mean but then, after seeing it again, again uh, realizing how close in pers- closely those guys are sitting together in that little tiny narrow space, <laughs> and then realizing that the controls are ice cube trays. Yep, that was the trivia track thing. <laughs> oh, there was so much fun stuff in the trivia track. Uh, uh, I mean, for the most uh, part, I enjoyed some of the humor in this. Unfortunately for uh, for me, it, it it didn't extend as far as to be humorously funny for me. I thought it was corny, and, and I'm not a big fan of Kubrick myself. Yeah. No, and I don't think Dan O'Bannon was either, um, because that was something that came up in one of the in the documentaries. Um, how I'm I'm not. I'm a little worried about misquoting him, but the gist of what he said was something like he thought 2001 was boring and we watched like nothing happen for a while. <laughs> Which he's right, so. Well, I, but, I, I highly disagree with that assessment, but you know, that's. I guess I, I, I like. I like the part in the film where the bomb was was about to drop, and he's arguing with the bomb. Okay, uh, uh, but here's why you shouldn't uh, uh, shouldn't drop the bomb. Uh, why do you exist? You know <laughs> those ty- uh, types of things. I mean, oh my god, I love that. Like I laughed so hard at that the second time I saw it. Um, yeah. I'd I'd heard the sound clip before. Uh, it's actually used in some of like the electronic music I listen to. Like they have that actual sound clip of that discussion near the end of a song, and it's like, oh, that's what this is from. And they're just they're just trying to talk the bomb down. The thing yeah. is, the like, bomb has like an existential crisis. It's like, I don't know if I can trust you because I can't trust my senses. Which, which again, like if you, if you watch Star Trek, they do that exact thing. Like there's 
at least like five different episodes where a machine takes over a ship or a society, controls everything. It's this unstoppable machine. And so what do they do? They feed it a logical paradox or some kind of something or other, make it blow its blow its brains up, basically. May, uh, and that's how they that's how they win the day. So I was like, yes, you know, they the they, thing I'm still trying to the, the well, thing I'm, I'm like, still trying to think about is uh, how did they make the jump from being in hyperspace and then all of a sudden their captain being dead? You know, what do you mean? It, well, uh, it, it was it was because of the jump through hyperspace that their captain was killed. Well, kind of. I mean, he was sort of his consciousness was preserved but his body was pretty much dead yeah he was like in a block of ice that survived like the bomb it when they talked the bomb down it didn't work because the bomb was like only i must exist therefore and then like it does that genesis quote and the bomb blows up and the guy's body like still in the ice is totally fine like floating by the survivors that's kind of a funny like visual gag kind of poking fun at uh the idea of suspended animation by literally putting him in ice and yet it still looks cool it's not like a mel brooks movie or something it looks really neat um he always did have a lot of luck (laughs) i did find that funny and also like um i really love the very beginning where they're literally blowing up worlds which is then what you know the bad guys in star wars do you know all the time with the death star uh, which I also found funny that these guys are just doing it on a whim. And that also is very Dr. Strange love where you have people who just routinely have these literal weapons of mass destruction. And it's just kind of their job to just blow stuff up. And they're so used to it that they're just bored out of their, out of their skulls. And that's why they don't really react to too much of anything, which and that they lost been, all their toilet paper. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's, that's another element of, uh, of 2001 is that you know the humans eventually become very machine-like just because they've advanced so much and they've been in space so long um you know so that's another good another good element there so uh red raven if if there was anything that you could take from this uh, film what would you uh what would you uh say um well the thing i didn't like about the film was the lady that was making the announcements to the ship her voice was so annoying i just didn't (laughs) like that at all like it was so like slow and like like when there was an emergency like you would think that like she would like be like you know talking faster and like warning them and her voice was just like slow and like the whole time it it was was like annoying that was was a computer you know uh, that was the joke the joke was that uh you know she's this really overly pleasant kind of airline stewardess voice that was uh, you know the whole time i was just like oh i wanted (laughs) to be a different voice actually john carpenter went really out of his way to pick that lady's voice Get the humor with her arguing with the bombs as saying, "Hey, uh, uh, there was no order to, uh, no real order to drop your, uh, dr- drop your weapon." <laughs> would, would you rather it have been uh, Rodney Dangerfield's voice or Christopher Walken's voice? <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> Dangerfield's voice. Hey, they should like, have like a. They should the bomb be Christopher Walken, and then um, have, like, uh, 
flip the a dial and the, the the computer's voice be uh, the the other guy or something like that. They did they did that in Futurama. There's like a slider for the ship's voice. Yeah. And it, they turn it from like a deep voice to like a really feminine voice, and then Bender starts dating the ship. Yeah, like <laughs> it'd be weird. funny if there was like a dial, like you do Rodney Dangerfield, Christopher Walken, <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholson. You know, you do uh, Gilbert Gottfried. You know, and that's just the men. You could do like you know Joan Rivers, or you could do Dolly Parton. You know, Betty White. <laughs> What's Betty funny White. is at the time the computer's voice that that you so found, uh, found annoying was found very pleasant by uh, by John Carpenter, and he thought his or her voice sounded uh, really, you know. Calm. Yeah, as, as soon as he heard her, he was like, you know, I found the voice, got it. Uh, like she was like somebody's wife or some something. <laughs> but, he he uh, ran into her in some random place. What was it, Dave? Do you know? Uh forget uh, i forget where but, uh, uh, but um i know i read, uh, read it uh what uh, what what i found fu uh, funny is that uh, one of the actors uh i think the guy who uh, uh, was randomly bored using the most powerful weapon on the ship shooting at shit <laughs> um, <laughs> his vo his, his regular voice his regular voice was actually so hard to, uh, to understand that John Carp Carpenter dubbed his voice. Mm. <laughs> Supposedly, and, and personally, it was actually yeah. John uh, Carpenter's voice in there. Well, oh yeah, here's another thing I thought was really funny was like the a lot of the sound effects you'd hear set, uh, for like warning uh, alarms and things like that. They sounded so obviously like someone actually recorded it with their own voice, like. Eh. <laughs> like that's like the literally alien? It, that's literally what it sounded like and i was like yes, so funny that it's like it they didn't even do any of those stock sounds maybe, maybe so like one of the actors off in, in the distance like put a megaphone to his uh, to his uh voice and they just made the sound or some shit yeah, well it sounded oh, like no, that it, i was just, but i was so glad that they didn't do any of those stock sounds because i get so hit, sick of hearing those you know i like that they did new sounds and i like that they sounded as lethargic as the characters did Katie, I heard I heard a few sounds that I could have swore I recognized from Alien too, so I think they reused some of that stuff. Maybe. Katie, Actually, uh, if there was yes. anything that you could take from this film, uh, or what what would you take from it? Um, I guess mostly what I took from it was just like I said earlier that I I really see the jump um, for John Carpenter and his filmmaking, and I'm just kind of starting to. Um, really see more John Carpenter films. Like I have seen a splattering of them throughout my life, but I'm kind of trying to fill in the blanks a little bit and sort of understand his, his filmmaking a little bit more. And I guess that was what I kind of took from this just to kind of see where was good for me. Um, and like I said, I, pr I probably need to go back and watch the movie again. Cause it sounds like it's, one it's of those where it needs substantially better the second time. I caught a lot more of the jokes. Sure, I probably need to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in general, I'm not a big science fiction, you know, well, movie watcher in general. So it's not one of my favorite genres. So I think, um, you know, for that reason, it maybe wouldn't hit me. Like, can I ask you a question? 
Yes. Have you seen many science fiction films? Um, I have seen my fair share. I don't. It's not again a go-to genre for me. Okay. So um, I don't know. Probably not as many as you guys have. I would say. Okay. Well, maybe uh, maybe I can uh, do a few science fiction films that I know that uh, 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 know that, uh, that I I think are relatively. Dan O'Bannon yeah. wrote Li Dan like wrote Life Force too. Turn you into a science fiction lo uh, lover of sorts. That's what well, I. Well, like I said, my my favorite science fiction movie is Terminator Two, so that uh, tells you where I'm at with my science fiction. But my um, my, my favorite is actually my favorite sci-fi film actually is Two Thousand One. My favorite. I'm sorry, Forbidden Planet. Uh, yeah, and that's another great one, which that actually, uh, speaking of Star Trek, that movie was responsible for a lot of what would eventually become Star Trek. Although you could also uh, say Killer Clowns from Outer Space is a science fiction film, too. Yeah, I think Well, like, sci-fi horror movies I like, too, so it's not that I don't like science fiction at all. I think, yeah, and I maybe don't watch enough of it. <laughs> um, I tried. I tried to mention it earlier. What would Life Force count as? Because Dan O'Bannon wrote that too, and Life Force has a lot of the sci-fi elements, but it's more grounded towards horror. I think. It's been a so, while since I've watched that one. Well, when they were talking about him, it's like, oh yeah, and he did this too. And I was like, he did that? Wow. <laughs> so, it's interesting I'm, how how connected some things uh, things are. Yeah, uh, there were other things. A lot of the Halloween people were on this. Like, I think Nick Castle was involved in some way. Tommy Lee Wallace was involved in some way. Well, this Nick, was Castle, Nick, Castle, Nick Castle later went on to direct The Last Starfighter. Oh, really? Huh? I didn't even know oh, that. Like, nice. I just remember he's in the. I just remember he's like in the costume for Michael Myers. Yeah, but he he went on to direct The Last Starfighter. I, I need saw to that, that movie. at some point. Well, and didn't let me look up if he was the one who did War Games. I can't remember. That might not be right. Uh, no, John Badham. Sorry, that wasn't him. Uh, yeah, but um, that was something else that he did. Brandon, uh, what would you take away from uh, from this film? Um, now watching it the second time, or, or uh, over the years, uh, does it hold a soft place in your heart? I think it gets better with time. It's like a like a wine, I guess. Uh, that, uh, but of course, I'm sure that if you watch it too many times, maybe it'll turn to vinegar. I don't know. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, every time I've watched it, I've learned a little bit more. I keep being reminded about the special effects to a short film that I used to love called Hardware Wars. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. Uh, who directed that, by, uh, by the way? Uh, Hardware war Wars? Hardware. Let me just double check on that. But I really loved it. It was the, uh, of course, the tagline is like, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll kiss three bucks goodbye. Is it, uh, <laughs> on, uh, it all? And it was just a, you know, it was just a short, but there was a lot, uh, there was a lot in it that was very, uh, very much like that, very tongue in cheek. Uh, very homemade. Director was Ernie uh, Faselius. Okay. Um, but uh, to me, I I like that. But it's also something that was sort of a forebearer of a lot of things as well. I think movies like Ice Pirates or um, okay. even Spaceballs, in a in a sense, would not really uh, be there without something like Dark Star as a forebearer. True. 
True. Yeah. I and got that. Yeah. You would almost, uh, 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 almost be certain that this film would, uh, 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 like, uh, be like the godfather of like parody type films. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it though it was extremely dry, and I still say that to me, that's the best way of saying it. The humor is very dry. It is it was still one of the one of the earlier parody films, and it okay. did a great job. It's just one that you have to think about a little bit harder than than a lot of. Yeah, them. well, that's that's what I liked about it is that it it didn't like spoon feed. Uh, it didn't spoon feed you anything like so many. It wasn't like a. Friedberg Seltzer movie where it's again it's like you know it's 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 funny because I've heard of it you know and that's it. Um, it's, Friedberg Seltzer films are funny. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean. It's like you actually have to you know use your brain and you have to you know because it's and it's actually about something which I also really like and um, I mean I guess you could call it dry but I mean I I don't know I like dry I like. Uh, I also like wry humor, and I wouldn't really again. I wouldn't really call this a uh, spoof. You know, it's it's more of a satire and has some parody elements, but even then, it's very not broad in its humor. It um, does have uh, it does have a few fairly focused moments of humor. Like, did you catch early on when the guy's talking about? It's like you know, I used to be a surfer a long time ago. Uh -huh. And then, at, and then at the end, uh, when he's floating through space, he's like, "Oh, there's some debris." And then he's surfing Which, like toward the planet on the debris. And you that's, know, that's directly, reminded that's, me a lot of. That's directly from Doctor Strangelove, by the way. Not surfing, but it's they the were other. they were intentional about that. They mentioned that they wanted to that they wanted to end the movie like that. I wonder if this was the, one person uh, falling off into space and the other towards the planet. I almost w wonder if this film was an answer to uh, BBC's uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> you know, they didn't mention it, so I don't, I don't know if that factored into what they were thinking. Um, they did mention John Landis' schlock, um, so that may have been something that was kind of bouncing around at the time. Like, I don't know if schlock came out after or before this, um, but the guy who produced it, like, that was mentioned. Oh, another fun thing. Uh, John Carpenter really hated the the guy who was their producer. And, like, the guy's name was, like, something Harris. So if you look on one of the monitors in one scene, you can actually read, fuck you, Harris. Uh, <laughs> uh, one, of, one of my favorite, probably my favorite scene in the whole, kind of, or maybe extended sequence in the whole thing is when... Um, whatever the one guy's name is when he's chasing around the, the beach ball alien uh, yeah. throughout the ship. And then he gets caught in the elevator. Like that was like, it was like if Stanley Kubrick was trying to do almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon within the, within the realms of an otherwise, you know, like serious movie, serious. <laughs> um, which again, that, that blend to me is really, really funny, which is again, that kind of humor is what makes something like Dr. Strangelove really funny because the stakes of the movie are really high and, you know, what is happening uh, and how it's being played is being played very seriously, but it's just the names, the, some of the situations themselves are just so goofy, but ha the fact that they're being played straight, that's what makes it, that's what makes the joke. And in here it felt very similar to that. It just had like kind of the, crappy looking fake monsters from uh, Star Trek, which Star Trek 
had a lot of really goofy looking monsters because they couldn't fo- afford anything half the reason. I actually um, thought that Star Trek had better creatures. <laughs> what? I actually thought that Star Trek had better creatures than uh, than. This yeah, it, it definitely did. I mean, they <laughs> better than they had, better than Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a little bit at, more. At least uh, Doctor Who, who had the British guys around. I mean, you had stuffy British guys doing some corny things back in the day, you know. There, there was an alien on Doctor Who where they just like put oatmeal on some dude, like. <laughs> That's, that's what I've heard. It's like, wow. That's uh, at least they painted the beach ball, you know. Uh, I thought yeah. it looked like a. I thought it looked like a killer tomato, you know. Like, but I, I like the. I like the fact that uh, they said, "Oh, I it, it was filled with gas." You know, what do you think about that, guys? And no one, no one answers him, and nobody thinks about it again. Like, I don't know. I thought that was really funny too. Like, well, if it's filled with gas, why do we need to feed it? I don't know. I know. Well, it's, yeah. just, it's that kind of like absurdism that is played seriously, and that again makes the joke. Like that, that kind of stuff is some of my favorite kinds of humor. The thing I, is, on some of the straight hu- humor, sometimes because there is no punchline, uh, um, uh, and just a continuous straight humor. Sometimes, I mean, like uh, if you ever watched, um, if you ever watched Monty Python's Flying Circus, they tended to specialize in jokes that didn't have formal punchlines, uh, and they would often just break the whole structure of how to do humor, uh, at least in the traditional manner. Um, and I mean, you wouldn't, you you could have like bits that had punchlines or had like you know, more traditional structure than sometimes it would just be complete nonsense. And so sometimes it can be the nonsense. Sometimes it's the uh, nonsense that the characters are playing straight and therefore it's funny. You know, it's, you can do it all kinds of ways. And for me, the kind of stuff I think is funny is how ridiculous can you make the situation while also making it such that the characters don't ever like wink to the cra- the audience and say ha ha this is funny laugh now you know it's just they in their world you know this is very serious and it's not a laughing matter you know and that's to me that's how you should do it yeah, yeah unless and, i mean for, fourth wall breaks can be great you know and those those can work really well it's just you have to make sure not to overdo them or do too many obvious winks to the camera because then it just comes off like we're too smart for the audience and so we're just going to point out why all those other movies don't work you know instead of doing something that we ourselves believe in if that one, of, one of my favorite uses of the four fall stuff is in something totally unrelated there's this ninja turtles animated movie and they have like the 80s ninja turtles and like the early 2000s animated ninja turtles together and 80s Raphael keeps doing his thing where he, like, talks to the camera. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like, he just tells jokes to the audience. And at one point, one of the villains grabbed him. It's like, why do you keep doing that? There's no one there. Yeah. Or, like, a good example of, like, subtle fourth wall breaking is, like, in Friday the 13th Part 6, uh, Jason <laughs> Lives. Like, that. Yeah. That, yeah, like, that's how you do that kind of, like, the meta humor and the breaking the fourth wall. Like, that's how you do that in an intelligent way that doesn't 
come off like the writer is too smart for his own good, you know, because doing that too much can get really obnoxious, which is like, I, I love, I love the screen movies and I like Deadpool, but like too much of that kind of thing can get old, you know? Um, so for me, generally speaking, I think that the more that you can uh, do humor that is played straight, it's just the situations are goofy and then that that contrast can make the joke. Okay, a little bit like a little bit like a trauma movie, like very like kind of toxic Avengery. Mm -hmm. oh, I, I love, think that's a bit more advert. I, I, I love advert. toxic Avenger. Uh, Cannibal the Musical does that a lot too. Did that a lot too, yeah. where they would have just like something happen, and the characters wouldn't laugh, but it would be clearly like hilarious, at least to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's the subtlety and the layers that the movie has that really make it what it is, and uh, it really takes it really takes some effort and skill to do a movie to where you can watch it and discover something new each time, or look at something that you thought of in a previous viewing and then look at it in a different light. Um, when you use that subtlety to the correct form, it does turn out well, but it definitely takes a skilled hand to do it and pull it off correctly. And I really feel like they did a decent job with this particular one. Yeah, and it, it feels like everybody's early work too. Like when you've, you've got ideas, but they're not, not quite all there because parts of this movie are hilarious and then the rest of it, it's just, what? Well, um, and, uh... I'm gonna see it a third time, so I'm, I'm hoping I get more of it. The thing is, this originally was just supposed to be a, a student film. Exactly. There's actually more of that letter I was reading, too, where he talks about that. It's the producers that uh, pushed the film to be a, a longer length and make it a feature uh, a film uh, and then, you know, uh, be able to market it out, uh, out there as, that's, you know. That's what happened with George Lucas's Electronic Labyrinth THX, THX 1138 4EB got turned into THX 1138, the feature film. They mentioned that, Dan O'Bannon mentioned that too. Uh, like they, they actually have like THX, whatever the number is, on a on something somewhere in the movie. I think it's like a part of the ship like floating away. You have to really look for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, they mentioned that they were a little upset how they were trying to make a great student film which became extended into a terrible feature film. Or at least that's essentially <laughs> which I would, what they said. I mean, that's what they would say, but I thought it was really good for what it was. It um, was. Um, well, here's, here's the rest of what Dan O'Bannon said in that letter. Dark Star began as a student film at USC and grew out of proportion. Even so, it was cheap. The ultimate cost was $55,000, and where that came from, I still don't know. It took three and a half years to make, starting in July 1970, and was a labor of love. Um, he, it's a little bit long, so I'm just going to kind of condense it. Uh, he talks about how they prepared the DVD because, quote, all the existing cassettes that I've seen are of such poor quality, they make me writhe with shame. They look nauseating. They've been through so many generations they could join the DAR. I can't stand to have our picture seen like that, so the print, blah, blah, blah. Uh, two trivia questions. Number one, see if you can tell which character is played by four different actors. Number two, see if you can tell which actor in which scene is under the influence of LSD. So ladies and gentlemen, Dark Star, you are under no obligation to laugh unless I'm present in the room. Dan O'Bannon. 
<laughs> it's like the the more I look at the more I read about this guy's like writing style and sense of humor, the more I think we would have been great friends. Like, uh, if you like that, then you should read Lloyd Kaufman's books because he has that same sort of self-deprecating humor uh, about his own films. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a judge for the Milwaukee Twisted Dreams Festival. That's right. So I I hope he actually comes here. I don't think he will, but I hope. I'm a, I don't see why he wouldn't, because he loves to go anywhere he can to meet people and promote his work. The thing is, with Lloyd Kaufman, uh, and I was part of the, uh, one of the people who helped get that festival off the ground, is uh, when, uh, when, we, uh, when we originally asked Lloyd Kaufman, uh, he uh, specifically said that we, that we would have to pay for his flight and his wife's flight in order to get him down here. Yep. So. Well, that's, oh. that's, I don't know, that's not surprising to me. <laughs> so, Is he uh, paying but, for the uh, hotel? No, he wouldn't even do that, so it's, it, oh, it's yeah, like... See, we, when I got him for my uh, upcoming short film, I, uh, we were kind of in negotiations as far as, like, how much to spend on a hotel for him and flight and all that stuff. I just happened to catch him when he was already in town for his wife's uh, 50th high school reunion. And so, you know, we made the most of that time that he happened to be there. But otherwise, yeah, I would have had to pay for his hotel and flight and all that stuff. <laughs> I just want to dream. <laughs> That's why I just go to Lloyd. I'll just go to him. <laughs> uh you're, you're gonna get another uh, t uh tattoo on your uh chest uh, the next time you see him oh it's <laughs> yes well not a tattoo but a signature well, yes i i will have lloyd sign the other breast of course <laughs> all righty he, he might know how to use the tattoo pen or whatever it's called you don't know <laughs> in any case yeah that's uh, a commitment <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, in any case, uh, did anyone else have anything to add uh, to the film before we... Uh, uh... Well, Dan O'Bannon was really like proud and protective of this movie, even with kind of the reputation it got for not being so great at the time. Um, and the this my copy came with a very long documentary, and it ended with kind of a retrospective of how, you know, he was always proud that he did it and he always really cherished the project um even as he was dying like people commented that you know we always thought he was a hypochondriac because he would just be sick all the time um but he wasn't and he died from crohn's disease in 2009 and it was really yeah. sad very sad well i have to say um that it's having been a filmmaker myself and you, you start at a certain level and then you get better if you keep at it, hopefully. Um, but uh, I think it's more like, you know, you can feel a certain way about your early works or whatever, but it's more taking them in the proper spirit, in the proper context. Like this is where I was. This is a stepping stone to getting me to where I would later go. And I mean, Trey Parker and Matt Stone look back on, you know, Cannibal the Musical is like this, essentially a student film that got blown up into a feature, which that's, they, they have a similar kind of story as far as that goes. But without that, there would have been no South Park and no Book of Mormon and Team America and all these other great things that came after that. 
and it's actually my favorite of their works. Um, and uh, it's because it's got a lot of heart to it and a lot of, uh, you know, the, it's just more the fact that you you just did it. You know, you got up. And exactly. That's did. what I mentioned, too. And that's that's the spirit of Lloyd Kaufman's book, Make Your Own Damn Movie. It's like it's get up and do the thing that nobody else really has the guts or the, you know, fortitude to do, which is make your movie the way you want and make it from the heart and all that stuff and get it out there so that way it can lead to bigger and better things or, you know, just stand as a great thing in and of itself. I mean, wasn't it uh, Mia Zarchi or whatever he did, who did I Spit on Your Grave? And I don't think he did anything after that, but people remember that movie uh, ever since then. And that was a indie indie thing. I can totally relate to that concept in burlesque as well. Yeah. How so? When I think to... Um, get on stage and do it you know it doesn't matter um if my debut performance for the first time i ever got on stage you know i can look back on that even now only um i've not even been doing burlesque a year but i look at my first performance the first time i got on stage and i've Did grown so much first time um absolutely yeah i mean yeah. i had never been on stage for any reason really i've never performed i'm not an actress i don't you know performing just isn't something that i did but I said yes to an opportunity because I wanted to challenge myself and I, and I did challenge myself by just doing it at all. And now I look back on what I did and see just each time I do a new number, I, I challenge myself to do something else and you grow as you learn. And, um, I would assume just like a filmmaker does making a movie, you know, each time you do it, you get a little better, you learn a little something else. And people can see that in your, and in my case, in my performance or in a director's case in the actual product of the movie. So I totally relate to that concept. I can relate to the concept as well. Cause uh, when I first started out with uh, my uh, reviews or whatnot. Uh, not, uh, I mean, the first thing that I created was just. Uh, uh, I realized that I needed to do something with my uh, my life when I was unemployed, and uh, it needed to do some uh, something with my life to uh, to keep myself out of trouble. So I uh, created a Stephen King movie club page, and from there I met some people in Milwaukee who uh, turned me on to reviewing. And uh, I started looking at the uh, at the back of my uh, my uh, uh, my films that I uh, loved, which were more independent than anything else. <laughs> and uh, I started adding the people on Facebook and starting getting to know them. And uh, as many of you know, uh, know I actually have uh, a disability, uh, uh, which is Asperger's syndrome, and I don't mind telling people about it when I when I when I tell people about it. And uh, and that's how I got to know some of you guys. So, uh, yeah. and <laughs> uh, I broadened my uh, my reviews to doing the podcasts, and I I, I, I do very much by uh, by continuing to doing the best that I can do. You know? Well, that's all anybody <laughs> can ask for at the end of the day is that we all do the best that we can, and we persist uh, in spite of what may threaten to hold us back and hopefully we get better and uh it's just more the idea of never giving up and you know being able to not 
be ashamed of your past works, just acknowledge them for what they were, which is a stepping stone to bigger and better things, and then uh, go from there. And uh, it's more just the, the continuous progression that's this the journey. That's what matters. I would have never known that you had Asperger's at all. Uh, you couldn't tell uh, by the movies? <laughs> no, I... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have a uh, obsessive compulsive disorder too, so it, it comes with. Oh, the I have that too. <laughs> I I have to collect everything and anything that's out there, and uh, yeah, me too. I have like so much junk in my house. <laughs> so I but, do too. Uh, much of it for uh, sale. Buy my crap. I think several of us have obsessive compulsive disorders because uh, if you collect anything of any sort and you have multi uh, multitudes of it, you have some kind of a disability. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I live with a collector, so I just. <laughs> I'm I just take care thing. of the person with a disability. <laughs> I fund the disability. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, uh, over and buy some movie. <laughs> let's wrap this up here, um, and uh, uh, the, uh, then after the sh uh, 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 show, we'll decide next week's uh, film. So stay tuned, folks. Um, uh, Katie, why don't you tell uh, tell us uh, uh, where you're from and what you do? Sure. I am Katie Cadaver from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm a body positive horror artist and alternative model. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at third eye open. That's three R D E Y E zero P E N. I'm also the makeup artist for horror punk band rat bat spider. Um, you can find them at ratbatspider.bandcamp.com. And I'm a dead girl for Dead Girls Dark Coffin Classics, a horror TV show. And you can find Dead Girls Dark Coffin Classics on vimeo.com slash ddcc. And I'm also a performer and producer for Grindhouse Tees Burlesque Productions. And you can find us on facebook.com slash grindhouse tees. Awesome. Uh, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, where you're from? Oh, yes. Uh my name is Brandon. I'm uh, from uh, Septum Sen versus the World. Uh, we are a YouTube channel that uh, does movie reviews and, of course, uh, commentary on uh, media collections. Um, most types of media, but mostly, uh, but mostly movies and uh, TV. Uh, we are. Uh, we've had to take a kind of forced hiatus as I've been, as we've been changing our, uh, our, I guess, studio. And uh, now we're back up and time for Oscar season. So we are looking forward to um, analyzing the awards nominees. Uh, we actually have a video tomorrow uh, that I'm working on as we speak uh, that analyzes the Razzie nominees, uh, <laughs> which is much more fun than analyzing the, uh, <laughs> than the Academy Award nominees, in my opinion. <laughs> Awesome. Um, and uh, Red Raven, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from? I'm Red Raven, and I'm from Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I'm a concert promoter in the Milwaukee area. And I'm also a dead girl um, on Dead Girls Dark Coffin Classics. Awesome. 
Uh, Dane, why don't you uh, take a gander at uh, telling these fine folks listening out there uh, exactly who you are? We, I have no idea who you are. Yeah, I, I know. You got amnesia, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I am Dane Kyle, uh, independent filmmaker based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm um, working on a whole bunch of different stuff. My uh, my next short film is going to come out at the end of this month, finally. I'm working on a web series. I'm trying to get a TV show pilot off the ground for children. Um, I'm trying to I've got a lot of shorts, either short or feature ideas in the works, as well as, like, you know, fan films and things. It's just it's more – I'm kind of in a period where I'm trying to – wait for certain things to hit the ground first like it's more of a matter of which one is going to going to do it so but that will quickly i'm sure get resolved and i'll be able to be more specific about the next steps awesome and dustin why don't you tell us a little bit about what you uh, do where you're from well, everybody's kind of kicking butt with their stuff recently um, well, so well uh, I, go to, I go to school here in milwaukee uh, I collect movies, and I have an Instagram for my horror uh, movie, and apparently figure, and vinyl, and horror whatever I encounter. Uh, it's dhrhunter, all one word, on Instagram, and I'm going to be trying to post stuff more consistently. I was pretty busy with classes last semester, so I didn't get a whole lot put up. Um, but I love talking about movies, and that's kind of why I'm here. I'm also an editor for Movies Galore of Milwaukee, and I'm going to be putting some reviews up pretty soon, I'd hope. Um, awesome. So I have, well, I have a project I've been working on for about a year that's almost finished. Um, it doesn't relate to movies or anything fun, but we're hoping to have it wrapped, and then we can start reading books for fun again uh, very <laughs> soon. And so I think my first review is going to be something called Slithis, which I have a bit of a personal history with, but you'll have to wait for the article to come out for that, to hear about it. Definitely. Uh, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, that, uh, uh, seeing that re uh, review since uh, um, you're part of the staff. In any yeah. case, uh, uh, my name is David Stregge. I run uh, this show uh, with uh, you... Uh, fellow uh, film lovers no, out there pass. and uh i also well, uh, write a blog called uh movies galore milwaukee which uh dustin has aforementioned and uh, uh i also have some uh interviews i recently di uh, did that are out there if uh anyone cares to uh, to listen uh one is uh uh from a director in the uk uh uh, by the name of Andrew Jones, uh, and uh, which was kind of funny. It was his first podcast, uh, so uh, definitely ch uh, check that out. I connected with, uh, with the UK, so yay for me. And then um, earlier today, I had an interview with Richard Griffin uh, with uh, from Scorpion Films, uh, and he's got some uh, definite uh, projects that are coming out uh, coming out that you, you should definitely hear about. And uh, I as well have a project that is coming out uh, sometime this year. I have not uh, heard the green light uh, that it has uh, been uh, uh, finished yet, but uh, it is definitely going to be finished this year uh, called Wrestle Massacre for 2018. So 
definitely look out for some of the things that uh, I uh, am uh, producing and uh, that Dane is uh, creating. So definitely check, check those out. And hopefully every, everyone out there listening has a great afternoon and evening. Thank you for listening. Everyone say good night. Good night. Good night. Like, share, and subscribe. This is somewhat dedicated to Dan O'Bannon, at least this time. <laughs> Now, time for TV's favorite game show, Beat the Time!